I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. The actions of the big tech companies, most prominently Twitter and Facebook's decision to ban then-President Donald Trump from their platforms, have led conservatives to consider invoking antitrust powers, of which they have long been skeptical, to crack down on these companies' power. Joining me today is an advocate of that approach, John Schwepp of the American Principles Project, to make the case for an antitrust crackdown on tech companies. Uh, John, before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about your background and the work you all do over at American Principles Project? Sure. Uh, so American Principles Project is a social conservative group. Uh, we've been involved in uh, politics since 2009, and um, you know we work on a lot of the, the social conservative issues, right? So the trans issues, um, you know, schools, uh, all sorts of different things. And um, we got involved in the tech issue several years ago because we saw censorship coming down the pike. And uh, we thought, well, we're social conservatives. You know, eventually we're going to be the first people targeted. Um, And we run ads and do all sorts of stuff in political campaigns. So that was obviously very important to us. Um, So I started getting involved in the big tech censorship issue uh, in like 2018, 2019. And then we've been working on that ever since. So... A couple of weeks ago, we had Paul Steidler of the Lexington Institute on to present his case against uh, an antitrust crackdown on technology companies. Um, now, American Principles Project is, or at least has expressed support for a an antitrust approach to technology companies. Could you could you give the argument for that? Yeah. Well, first of all, just a, a, a note on Lexington. Uh, they invited me to an event, I think it was two weeks ago. And I talked to Paul a little bit. They're very good faith. I, I, I take where they're coming mm-hmm. from uh, legitimately. I think that they're, you know, doing good work over there. But, um, you know, our approach on this has been from the get-go, we are very focused on Section 230, on speech, on, you know, is there a way that we can uh, establish these these platforms as common carriers or something like that. Um, but we, we started to realize really quickly the reality of politics, which is that you have to have 60 votes to pass anything through the Senate. And um, Democrats are pretty opposed to free speech now. Um, just blanket oppose it. Uh, right now, and we'll get into this, but one of the issues with one of the antitrust bills is that four Democrats are trying to insert uh, pro-censorship language into the bill, which would totally poison pill it, right? So Republicans are mm-hmm. pro-free speech, mm-hmm. Democrats are anti-free speech. And so it, it makes it where doing a Section 230 reform while we've... Uh, Built, put together a model proposal. We've worked with Congress on doing this. Maybe if the Republicans win a lot of seats, for the for those who don't for those who don't understand sure. uh, or haven't been following the issue terribly closely, what is Section two thirty and why is it relevant? So Section two thirty is basically a blanket immunity from civil liability for uh, interactive computer services, so online platforms. So uh, platforms as small as my website and platforms as large as Facebook, and so. The, the question about Section 230 has been, should these platforms be totally immune from this, from, from any sort of liability? Cause, so basically, as, as I understand it, the way things are now, if somebody says something nasty to me and post, uh, says something nasty about me and posts it on Facebook, I can't sue Facebook if it's libelous. Correct. I... Correct. Correct. Um, 
you know, sometimes there's there are criminal uh, approaches you can do. So if Facebook was directly involved in like sex trafficking or something like that, you might be able to to mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to have criminal provisions against them. But even even in that case, there's no civil liability. And so, you know, mm-hmm. our approach with this has been pretty much, OK, well, you know, you can make the policy argument. Is this smart policy? Should these companies be insulated from civil liability when so many companies aren't? Um, but there's also the case that these companies really need this. It's very important to their business model. And so it's not crazy to think, well, maybe we should ask them to adhere to uh, First Amendment standard with their content moderation practices in exchange for that. And so that's kind of been Mm -hmm. uh, conservatives have embraced that approach more now. But again, just to to get into practical realities, we would need 60 votes in the Senate. Uh, I think a lot of prognosticators are expecting Republicans to do well this election cycle. Maybe they could do well again in 2024. Maybe that's realistic. But in the meantime, I think we have to work with that reality, which means we need Democrat votes to to rein in these companies Mm -hmm. at all. You bring up you bring up an interesting point that the the um, people on the left who are interested in in reigning in big tech and people on the right have not just different but diametrically opposed I would argue views on uh, free speech on the web. Obviously, the uh, the left has be has been sort of interested in this disinformation regulation trend. Uh, Obviously, the tech companies, uh, just by their nature, uh, the decisions that they're making tend to favor uh, progressive interests, uh, whereas, again, people on the right tend to want a First Amendment or close to First Amendment standard for open expression on the web. Why should uh, you know conservatives, considering working on tech regulation with progressives— uh, why should they expect that there, that a, a deal can be, in fact, reached given these diametric op- diametrically opposed views? So the one overlap here, and you're right, and I think you've diagnosed it perfectly, but the one overlap is that both sides think the danger is that these companies are way too powerful, that they are have way too much of an influence on our politics and all this. So I think when you start to get into the concentrated power argument, um, and especially when you start, even even on the economic side of things, when you talk about anti-competitive behavior, like should Amazon be allowed to crib intellectual property from its small businesses and then create their own products and and put those guys out of business? Like I think everyone, pretty much everyone, even free market people say, hey, that's, that's probably a little too far. Um, so I think that's where we have the overlap. That's where I've worked with a lot of groups on the left on this and you know, that's kind of what we focus on. And we might disagree uh, on on the speech thing, but as long as these bills are agnostic on that issue and address the concentrated power, then there does seem to be some agreement. So the trick here is keeping it agnostic on that. Um, and both sides want to, uh, understandably, conservatives want to protect free speech, make sure that we're protecting free speech in these bills. Uh, Democrats want to oppose it because that's what they do now. Um and so it makes it tricky. But I think, you know, a lot of these bills, like we look at bills like the Open Apps Market Act, uh, you know, I think that it's pretty agnostic on that issue. And so what would that what would that legislation specifically do? So Open Apps Market Act, basically, it goes after the app stores and it basically says, like, hey, you can't discriminate. You can't do anti-competitive stuff. Um, you have to 
you know, treat all these uh, different um, apps fairly and, and equally. Um, you know, it could get into the text more, but it, it specifically goes after. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, I think this is something without without going on a huge tangent. I think this is something you'll see more in the future. We are talking right now uh, about whether we'll vote on Amy Klobuchar's um, uh, American Innovation and Choice Online Act. And this is the bill everyone's talking about. And we'll see. I, I, I'm hoping there is a vote. Um, there may not be. We'll, we'll find out. Um, but the, the thing with that bill is I think that bill's forcing everyone to start thinking about this issue more clearly. Um, the, the criticisms of that bill from both sides are uh, that maybe it's a little too vague, that it doesn't get specific enough. So you have people like Mike Lee who oppose that bill who have come out with their mm-hmm. own versions of antitrust bills that specifically go after like the discrete ads, online ads market, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's what we're going to see more and more is as more senators, as more members of Congress educate themselves on antitrust, uh, you're going to see more specific solutions to problems coming out. And and then you might be able to have something like I think Mike Lee's bill, I doubt it gets a vote this Congress, but if Republicans take both chambers, it's the type of bill that maybe could pass uh, with Democrats. Mm-hmm. What's the what are the major provisions of the Klobuchar bill? S two nine nine two the 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 uh, non discrimination bill. Um, basically, it 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 prevents self preferencing. So a lot of these sites, um, you know, Google, Amazon specifically, uh, put their own products at the top of their search, um, and the way search works uh, as a, as I'm sure you're aware, um, you know, people look at the first three or four terms and they don't look beyond that. Um, and it's actually gotten worse. I think as we've become a more ADD society in the last few years, um, <laughs> nobody goes to the second page of Google anymore. At least it used to be five, six, seven mm-hmm. percent went there. Now nobody does. Um, and so with Amazon, like one of the worst uh, offenders on this particular thing, uh, you know, you'll have a, a product that uh, has to go through Amazon to be competitive, right? Because everyone uses Amazon. And it'll do really, really well. And then Amazon will come out with a very similar version of that product. They'll sell it. They'll undercut the person, sell it at a cheaper price, and put them higher in search. And so that product that the small business had is done. Like, it's just over. And um, I, th- I mean, critics, critics, of the, of, critics of the legislation, I've heard it argued that, this, that how is what Amazon is doing any different than, like, say, Safeway having its private label, you know, version of... Cheerios style cereal. Uh, uh, how how does that how does that differ? Why why, market why dominance. how would you object? To I, that? I see it as the market dominance, right? Like if Amazon wasn't as as large and dominant in the online uh, marketplace, like so so nobody's really complaining about Walmart.com. I'm sure if you go to Walmart.com to buy your groceries, they have the same thing, and no one's really complaining about that. And I think the reason is just because of how pervasive Amazon is. Um, because that right now, if you're a small business, uh, you could probably, let's, let's say you're a small business cereal. I don't know if that's really a thing, but we'll just say it. Um, you could probably get away and profit without being in Safeway or be, without being in Walmart. That might be tougher, mm-hmm. but Amazon, as long as, long as you had a, dis, as long as you had a distribution agreement with somebody, right, right. But Amazon's so powerful. And the other thing, Amazon has these weird rules where, um, you're not allowed to sell your product cheaper anywhere on the internet. But meanwhile, Amazon's taking like a huge cut. I think it's almost like 30% of the, maybe it's 25%. And um, so, you know, you have to list it there cheaper. So consumers are actually getting screwed elsewhere, right? Because because the, mm. the small business has to make sure that they're making enough of a margin. So they have to add in Amazon's take and that raises the price. 
And then that's the price everywhere else on the web. So I think there's these types of things where if you just kind of take away their ability to leverage that market power to force uh, small businesses and then also consumers into suboptimal things, I think it would be beneficial. That's a, that's an interesting case because that seems more like sort of classical antitrust than the tech regulation mm-hmm. for speech. Yeah, so so my approach on this has been, uh, and I've written about this a little bit, um, I, I think you, we saw what DeSantis did in Florida with Disney. And I think that uh, some people have been calling it the DeSantis doctrine. Basically, the approach of if Republicans show a willingness to use their power in government, uh, corporations will respond differently to them long term. And I think one of the problems we have with the big tech companies is that Democrats have shown a willingness to use their power. And the companies are responding to that by censoring conservatives more because that's what the Democrats want. And I think because Republicans haven't shown a viable threat to them in, in any way, um, our concerns are less are, are, are taken less seriously. And so one of the things I've really wanted to do is I think once Republicans show a willingness to tackle these issues, even on their merits, right, like even on the economic face of it, talking about small business and innovation and how antitrust can help that. Um, I think it'll make us uh, more credible when we're when we're asking these companies to um, to listen to us on our speech concerns. So Amazon obviously is kind I mean, of the most removed of the big tech companies from this, although they did, you know, censor Ryan Anderson's book. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, there's they, they there's have, some examples. Have... AWS obviously took down Parler. Um, but I think I think long term by by showing a willingness to um, to be oppositional to these companies, to not just being a cheap date. I think we'll be in a better a better position to to negotiate. I mean, I guess the other question kind kind of builds off of off of that. To what extent, at least on the censorship side, is it that the companies are just doing what they what their either their management or their owners want to do versus they're actually being sort of job owned by uh, democratic and progressive legislators? Because you know, the issue with, like, let's say, let's take Facebook meta platforms as an example. Obviously, it owns Facebook, it owns Instagram. Those are the two that I know, and I know it owns a bunch of other things. Um, if you break it into its constituent parts, does that act, you know, if all the people who are running it are still progressives, you know, how does how does an antitrust approach get the free speech outcomes that we would like? Yeah, no, that's a that's a tricky question. So I think, you know, it, it's often said, like, if there are 10 Googles and 10 Facebooks, that you'd have one rise up to compete on free speech grounds. And ideally, that would be the one where um, network effects start to take effect and where people go there more. Um, but I do think that's theoretical. So I think your, your um, uh, devil's advocate kind of question there is a fair one. Um, you know, ultimately... Uh, this is why Section 230 still does matter, right? Um, there is kind of this, um, I'd say, an ideological cartel in Silicon Valley that's biased against conservatives, and it's just going to happen across the board. Um, you know, there's lots of transfer pr- uh, platforms, but PayPal is censoring people, and I still think that's a big deal, or preventing people from transferring funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, I, I think ultimately, I still think that the market power argument is a good one. Um, all those things aside... Uh, because it just it wouldn't be you know the 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 Facebook thing you know for example American Principles Project we had all of our ads taken down 
and mm -hmm. or not all, but a lot of them. And a big part of the reason why that was a concern was because Facebook is the premier way to get to voters, right? Like, I mean, everything else is more expensive, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of thing. So sure. I, I, I think that I, I kind of take both sides on that, but I think that you, you go after the market power and then you have to deal with, uh, if there is a, a cartel, then you have to deal with that as well. But I think dealing with the market power hopefully allows competition to fix that problem. And I, I think until we kind of get to that point, it's going to be hard to to make one argument or another. And I, I do believe, truthfully, that even though the Democrats have really started to oppose free speech, that free speech will win the day. I think the American people believe in it as a value. Um, I think they'd rather see platforms that don't censor than that do. And so I think it... I mean, I mean, we've we've seen this with Elon Musk's proposed takeover of Twitter. I mean, Musk is not a conservative, uh, but he's said that he's in that he's interested in restoring a free speech ethic to that platform if his if his buyout proceeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hopefully it does. Unfortunately, the market took an absolute uh, you know crash uh, as yeah, soon no as dive. this happened. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> um, which is really bad for him. I saw he dropped under 200 billion net worth, which, uh, poor Elon. Uh, oh no, only below just, just under $200 billion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, look, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, these are the types of things we have to wrestle with, with antitrust. And that's where, you know, I look at something like S2992, the, the, uh, American innovation and choice online bill. I want to vote on it more than I even want it to pass. I want it to pass, but I, I want to vote on it because I think it forces Republicans and Democrats to, get out there on this to to um, to think about the issue, to be on the record on the issue. You know, if you're a, a big tech, an anti big tech Republican and you oppose this on its merits because you, maybe you don't want to give Lena Khan power at the FTC or whatever, you're still going to have to come to the table with how you're going to break up big tech. Right. So you're going to have to do your own thing. And so I think it forces Republicans who haven't thought through this issue to really start to think about it. And that's where you see like the evolution of Mike Lee. I see that as kind of the future of Republican antitrust. Someone like that who um, is, a, is a free market as it gets. You can't really criticize his credentials on that, right? I mean, he's a Tea Party guy. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then he's really starting to think through this issue. And he's kind of a thought leader in the Senate where I think a lot of people look to him. Mm. So that's, that's been, for, for me, a lot of this has been political. Um, I think by pushing the antitrust issue, by trying to get votes... Um, you know, we actually did get one of the antitrust bills. We uh, supported the, the venue bill, uh, got through on a uh, unanimous consent yesterday. Uh, so that would be uh, Tuesday, June 14th. It got through. What does what does what does that legislation? So do? basically it allows um, right now uh, when state AGs sue uh, the tech companies, the tech companies get home field advantage. So often the court is in like California. OK, so it's a, yeah. So they get they it, it's heard in California. Yep. And, and the federal government right now, when it brings up a suit, it, it doesn't it gets home field advantage. Uh, the state AGs don't. So it's trying to put states and, and the federal government on a level playing field. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a pretty easy bill. Like that, that was why it got through by unanimous consent. But again, like we've just had a hold up with trying to get any of these even talked about. And so uh, anything we can do to to do that, I think, is a win. So, so it's more so as much as certain policies may be good or bad, it's more the idea that the policy process is is being conducted right. rather than than any specific proposal that's currently on 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 the right. floor. Right. And I, I look to like I've I our organization endorsed Lee's bill um, that goes after Facebook and Google on ads and tries to prevent, you know, uh, collusion between the buy and the sell side of ads. 
And, um, you know, we look at that that legislation. It's it's a much better bill. I, I like Amy Klobuchar's bill, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. But Lee's bill's excellent. Like, it's really well thought out. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a bill that I think can get 60 votes, ultimately. And so I think if we can inspire more bills like that and more ways, I want Congress to assert its Article One authority on antitrust. I think that's a better avenue than, uh, you know, deferring to the administrative state or even just relying on the court system to sort it out. And so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do. And I think we'll, we'll see more of it. Um, yeah. So I guess uh, before we let you go, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to promote that you or your colleagues at American Principles Project? Are sure. Uh, so we just released a, a report, actually, which I think you guys will find interesting. Um, it's, uh, I can't remember the subtitle, but it's big tech versus democracy. And it's basically, I, I was, I, I was looking at that and we will put that into cool. Mission. Cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we wanted to do was show the actual effect of the big tech companies on the 2020 election. We, we also, we also appreciate your citation. Oh yeah. We, we cited you guys uh, a lot. Research centers, <laughs> Capital Research Center's work on these. Yeah. Yeah. Was, which we have discussed on this podcast as it well. It was good. It was good. You guys, I, I, I feel like I did that on our Black Lives Matter report too. I feel like you guys are always doing great stuff. So we, we cite you a lot, but, um, but you know, we wanted to come up with something. Uh, it's obviously hard to talk about the 2020 election. Um, I think people instantly think you're a conspiracy theorist. If you say, you know, that it was, um, stolen or influenced in any way. But what we wanted to do was cast the ballot stuff aside, cast the, um, you know, the uh, harvesting and all of that aside. Just look at big tech. Okay, it was 44,000 votes in three states. And here's all the examples of what big tech did. And it's like, oh, yeah, obviously they swung the election. Like, there's no question. And so um, we wanted to show that in kind of a credible way and then also make the case of, okay, what can Republicans actually do? And so we had a solutions uh, part of that that included all of this stuff. All right. Well, thank you again to John Schwepp of American Principles Project for joining us. We will include a link to American Principles Project's report, Big Tech versus Democracy, and a link to our our previous discussion with Paul Steidler of the Lexington Institute uh, opposing antitrust regulation in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.